Let me give you a couple of quotes here. It says, when you change the way you see things, the things you see change. Let me say it one more time. When you change the way you see things, the things you see change. And so your spouse, your job, life in general cannot not even change. But if you change the way that you see them, they will change without them changing. Did you jump through that hoop? <laughs> the point is, you just need to see things differently. You need to see your spouse the way that God sees them. You need to see your job the way that God sees it. You need to see everything the way that God sees that. And a big part of that is change. You know, I've said this many times at our church, but if you're new or maybe you missed one of the 12,000 sermons that I preached about this, about uh, the word repent. The word repent does not mean to ask God for forgiveness. You can look it up in your Strong's Concordance. Your Young's Concordance would be even be better. But uh, you look it up in your Concordance, and it will not say, ask God to forgive you. It means to have a change of mind. It means, to, and I can even give it to Metanio. That's the word for that, but it means to undergo a change of, in frame of mind, to undergo a change in your mind. And so if you're just asking God to forgive you and not changing your mind, that's why Paul throughout all of the epistles and all the letters, he kept saying, repent, repent, repent. He was not saying to ask for forgiveness. He says, you're thinking wrong. You're thinking wrong. Even when you sin, the word repent is usually after that. But it, it means that when you sin, you're thinking wrong. Did you know that's why people sin? They're just thinking wrong. And so repent means to think right. Hallelujah. Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2 says this. Stop imitating the ideas and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation. Of how you, what? Think. Of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. The New King James Version says, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. And if you just think about the word world the way that you and I think about it, you're going to miss this. Again, if you look that up in a Strong's Concordance and look up what the Greek means, it does not mean the world in which we live. It means the age of time, a specific period of time. And so Paul was saying not to be conformed, not to be conformed to the law-abiding, sacrificial system that you are used to. You see, the Jew, when Jesus came, the law... We're no longer under law since Jesus came. And we're no longer under the sacrificial system. Thank God. I don't even like going to the hospital to see tubes and blood and guts in a hospital. I can't imagine having to carve some cow or lamb, you know, and take the guts out of it. I'd just be like, where's Pastor Mike? He left. Thank God we're not under that sacrificial system. But what Paul was saying is, you know, the Jewish people of that time, 
thought that to get to God and have a relationship with God, they had to be and do the law, be under the law. And Paul said, listen, don't be conformed to this law-abiding sacrificial system that you're under. You'll find out that God's good, acceptable, and perfect will is not about trying to live holy lives and follow certain rules. He's saying, renew your mind, change your mind. 2,000 years, we still need to hear this because we still try to put ourselves underneath the law. That's the way to get to God. It is not. But it says, uh, back into the Passion Translation, Romans 12, 2, it says, transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation. A total reformation. You know, when there is a reformation, it just means that somebody radical, it, it, it just comes to the forefront. You know, like Martin Luther, when he nailed his thesis on, the, on that door, I mean, the religious community just blew up. When Martin Luther King started uh, preaching, I have a dream, the world blew up. There's always been people that rise up to think outside of the box, to think, uh, this is the way you've always been thinking. I'm going to tell you a new way to think. Do you realize Jesus was like that? Do you understand that Jesus was not accepted by the religious community? None of the religious community, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you look at Jesus and his ministry, none of the religious community say, oh, I will follow him. No, they're the ones who crucified him. Why? He was an outsider. He, been, he started teaching and preaching something totally different than what they have been preaching and teaching. They were against him. They were so against him. So... I know this, once you change the way that you think about God, your whole world will be changed. That's why we have Rethink God on the four-year wall back there. The Lord gave us a mandate about three or four years ago to start telling people that they need to rethink God, think differently about God. Now, I know there are some great pastors here that I know that are doing a great work and they're doing what God wants them to do, whether it's Praise Assembly or Fellowship of the Rockies, Fellowship, um, fellowship Family, that church, and so many other churches. They're doing a good work. But don't come to me and say, we need to be doing what they're doing. Thank you for your enthusiasm. We're supposed to do what God wants us to do. Guess what? I'm not going to go to them. You're doing church all wrong. No. No, you, we, we shouldn't be doing that. And, and we just shouldn't be doing that. But when we rethink God and think differently the way that we have thought before, it will change your world. It will change your world. And you and I are actually built for change. God put us... As a human being, the ability to change, even though all humans just about hate to change. We hate to change. And the older we get, we have a tendency to not want to change. I want life to be the same. But life can't be the same. There is a tribe that would 
speak a curse over their enemy. You know, I, I, I would say this to, to people. I would say, may a thousand mosquitoes fly up your nose. <laughs> that would be a bad curse. If you, want to, if you want to say something bad about somebody, hey, you, I hope a thousand mosquitoes fly up your nose. Did you get that picture? That's a terrible picture. But anyway, this tribe would say this. May you always stay the same. May you always stay the same. They would consider that to be one of the worst curse <coughs> that you could possibly speak over somebody. And now that I'm going to be turning 60, you know, this, this year, I realize that that would be a terrible curse to speak over somebody. I have changed more in the last four years than probably all of the years I've known God. The thing about change, um, let me first read this quote from Ronald Timothy. He said this, paradigms can be so strong they act as psychological filters. We quite, quite literally see the world through our paradigms. Any data that exists in the real world or even in the Bible that does not fit our paradigm will have a difficult time getting through our filters. We are quite literally unable to perceive the facts right before our eyes. Thus, our greatest strength can become our greatest weaknesses, but by not allowing us to see both the need and the opportunity for change. The people who create new paradigms, the people who create new paradigms are usually outsiders. They are not part of the established paradigm community. So you look at Jesus. You look at Paul. If we didn't... If you can make yourself think that you didn't know Jesus, you didn't know Paul, and they came to the church, there would be a lot of churches today that would have nothing to do with them. I just felt oxygen sucked out of this room. <laughs> I do know this. Nothing of any significance ever happens in your comfort zone or my comfort zone. Did you hear what I said? Nothing of major significance happens in your comfort zone. If it's something big, it's going to be outside your comfort zone and it's not going to feel real good and smooth and you're not going to like it. Kind of like some of my sermons. One person, that's not bad. <laughs> anyway, let, let me say something to you just to rock your world a little bit more. Everybody, if you, if you fall asleep, stay awake for the next five minutes. Can everybody just, everybody listen to my voice? If you're watching, don't take a nap. Everybody listen for the next five minutes. All right, everybody listening? Yeah. 50 years ago, if my mom would have came into our house and, and said, I just feel gay today. Everybody went, oh, we're glad you're happy and everything. Today, that would take on a whole different meaning, would it not? Would it not? That is the same word, though. But in 50 years, just 50 years, there's a whole different meaning and translation of 
the same vocabulary that we have. Why am I saying that? The Bible. That was 50 years ago. The Bible. Written thousands of years ago. Thousands of years ago. And we are running it through our Western mindset, 21st century uh, vocabulary, and, and thinking that this is what this means. You think we could have got some things wrong? Just a little. In 50 years, if we're getting some things wrong. I mean, my mom's up in heaven today, but if she came back today and said that, and somebody goes, well, I didn't. I mean, she goes, what? My point is that we try to interpret the Bible through our, first of all, Western mindset that was written in the Jewish mindset towards Jewish people with a whole different culture and a whole different vocabulary, and we're translating it, and how about this, into a Kentucky language. (laughs) Everybody in Kentucky, you understand what I mean. But anyway, are you kidding me? In Matthew chapter 5, and this is the direction the Lord changed me this morning. In Matthew chapter 5, that whole chapter, really God, Jesus, he just starts preaching law. To the, to, the Bible says, it's a sermon on the mount, multitudes, probably thousands of people were listening to him talk. Multitudes of people. And he's preaching law because the religious community is there alive and well. His 12 disciples are, but thousands of others, the religious communities there, listening to him. They wanted to know what he had to say. So he's preaching law. The law, you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. You got to do this. You may not realize this, but Jesus was the greatest law preacher. And today we are no longer under the law. He sits there and he tells these people, if, you, if your right arm, your left arm causes you to sin, cut it off. So I thought next Sunday we'll have machetes up here on stage. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding for those who don't know me online. I'm kidding. They're going, hello, 911, please. If your eye offends you, you're looking at something, pluck it out. Our attendance would go way down. If I said next Sunday we're going to have pluckers and machetes on the stage. If you need to get right with God, come on down. Why, why, did he, why was he talking to them in that frame of mindset which is Scary. It's just, it's beyond rated R. You let me tell you, you know what I mean? I mean, people think my sermons are a little wild. How about Jesus? Man, his rated, if they made a movie of his, you couldn't, your children could not go watch it. This is what he's saying because in the Old Covenant, under the Old Testament, sin separated you from God. So he's saying, okay, we're going to take this to the next level. You think and believe that sin separates you, we're going to cut it off. So the rest of you can be all right. 
And then, in case you think, well, I can do all of that, the very last scripture of Matthew chapter 5, I believe it's verse 48, he says, okay, then be perfect. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. All right? If you think you're really good, if you think you can do this, I got one last thing to say about the law. You got to be perfect. I'm pretty sure that leaves all mankind out, including me and you. In case you want to know who that leaves out, that's everybody There's never been anybody perfect, but Jesus never was, never will be, except for Jesus. So we all on the same page? So what's all Matthew 5 talking about? He's saying this. He holds up a mirror to everybody, and he says, if you want the right relationship with God, your self-righteousness is not going to get you there. So he holds up. He said, because the law, they thought... His audience thought that if they kept the law, the better they kept the law, the better they got in with God. And so he holds up the mirror to them and says, okay, you want to hear law? I got some law for you. If you ever sin, cut your arm off. If your eye offends, you pluck it out. In case you can think you can do all of that, I'm going to go one better and say, all right, you got to be perfect. So that's the law. If you think that's the way your self-righteousness gets you to heaven, then let's live up to it. And so he was the best preacher of that. Why was he doing that? Because he was saying self-righteousness will never get you to heaven. It's only by the righteousness of God that will get you to God. Romans 5.19 says that one man made us all sinners, Adam. But God, Jesus, made us righteous. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man. Who's the one man's obedience? That's Jesus. Many will be made. It did not say become. It said made. You know why that's significant? You can't do right and be made righteous. No, when you accept Jesus, you become righteous. You become righteous. So if I mess up, which I will. Before the sun sets today, I will not be perfect before the sun sets today. But most people think if I mess up, then I lose my righteousness. You didn't act right to get righteousness. You don't mess up to unget righteousness. (laughs) Did that make sense? I don't know if it did or not to me even, but I mean. Let me pull up a scripture when we're talking about the law, Jesus was preaching the law on Matthew chapter 5. Verse, this is what people throw up to me. Matthew chapter 5 verse 18 says this, that the law is always going to be here until heaven and earth pass away. So there you go, Pastor Mike. You are wrong because the earth is still here. We still have heaven, so we still have the law. Like I said We try to interpret things through our Western mindset. Can you imagine 2,000 years from now? If we were writing in a book and somebody from 2,000 years from now sit there and go, and it was raining, cats and dogs. That person would go, I'm glad I didn't live back then. I don't know what kind of atmosphere that they had. But can Mary, did you hear? Read this. It was raining, cats and dogs. Can you? I just... Oh, wow, I'm glad I don't live back there. 
you're laughing, but we're doing the same thing of something that was written 2,000 years ago. I'm going to give you a challenge today. Everybody still awake? You still with me? Matthew 5, 18. said, heaven and earth, the law is not going to pass away until heaven and earth has passed away. As long as there's a heaven and earth, then this is the problem. I want you to Google, not right now. I want you to listen to me right now. But you can Google and even Google the writings of Josephus. He's a a first century Jewish historian. And when Jesus said that phrase, heaven and earth will not pass away, what the Jewish people realized that what he was talking about was the temple. Have I got your attention? Please, check this out. Don't take my word for it. Google it. The first century Jews knew what he was saying. Just like if I said it was raining cats and dogs, everybody here should know that, or fat chance. (laughs) Fat chance, you probably knew this truth. They knew everything in the Holy of Holies behind the curtain represented heaven. So that was the heaven part. Everything in the holy part and the outer court represented the earth. So when they heard that term, heaven and earth, they knew Jesus is talking about the temple. The law will not pass away until heaven and earth pass away. The temple. When Jesus was on the cross, what happened to the veil of the temple? Tore. So it rendered the temple useless. God was saying, this temple thing's done. And they kept trying to keep it alive and well until 70 AD. And then Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed totally in 70 AD. So they understood what Jesus was saying. The law was in place until we do away with the temple. Heaven and earth. How many knew that? Let me see your hand. One? All right. Two? Two people knew that. The majority of the church world does not know that because they're still thinking we still have the law today because we have the earth today and we still have heaven today. How much more have we gotten wrong because we're trying to interpret the Bible through Kentucky English, 21st century Western mindset. I'm just saying, we possibly may have a few things wrong. Why is that important? Well, because, you know, people throw things up like that. We're going to have the law. We're supposed to be under the law because Paul teaches that we're not under law. And then Jesus says we're under law until uh, as long as we have a heaven and earth. So now... Obviously, Paul and Jesus are on the same page, which means we should all be on the same page. I read this article by Kate Morgan. I don't know anything about her. I just, I'm an article reader. I don't know anything about her, so don't next week say, do you know who she is? No, I don't. I just read this article, and I thought it was interesting. Are you ready? She said this, changing minds is hard to do. When our most dearly held opinions, things like political convictions, 
religious beliefs, morals, and core principles are challenged, our brains put up a tremendous fight to protect them. Research has shown that when deeply held beliefs are called into question, the amygdala, I don't know if I'm saying that right. It's a part of your brain, the amygdala. Am I saying that right? It's close enough. That part of your brain that processes emotions, it kicks into high gear as if we were encountering danger, leaving us in no mood to consider a difference of opinion. So that's why you, you and I can get literally brainwashed because what we learned growing up in church, this is what God is like. This is what God is like. This is what serving God is like. You get brainwashed, and that gets put in your amygdala. And once it's in there, man, it's like it's there. So you have to open yourself and become teachable. You have to have a want to change. To say, is this what God is really like? I've had my amygdala turned upside down the last four years. I mean, it's like God took it out and put it in a blender, goes, and put it back in, you go. What was all that about? God says, I took care of that amygdala for you. Do you understand Paul's, most of his main teaching through the epistles and all of his letters were about this, to reveal Christ in us, to reveal something instead of trying to attain something. So the church world has made the major emphasis on making sure you don't sin, making sure that we try to attain something. When Paul, his major teaching was, there's something been placed and established on the inside of you. It's called Christ and him glorified. And we need to understand that what is in us needs to be revealed to us that you already have it. That's good stuff. John Maxwell says people change in three different situations. When they hurt enough, they'll change. When they learn enough, they'll change. And when they receive enough, they will change. We need to think differently about God. You see, I don't really think that the church world, and, and I include myself in there, we really don't understand how good God is. But everybody who goes to church in every country, they'll say, oh, yes, God is good. Oh, no, you don't. No, 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 no. You just have this, but then you go through life and stuff happens and you think, man, well, God is trying to teach me something. You know, this cancer is trying to teach me something and I got my car repossessed and God wants to make sure that, uh, you know, I don't put material things before him. Really? I've got three kids and I wouldn't teach them that way. I would not. I would not put sickness on them if I could. No. And yet that's the way we think about God. Let me take you one step further since I've already rocked your world. We put God in a certain kind of box, especially if we're trying to be spiritual, which God never said, be spiritual. But you know, Christians, we try to be spiritual. Be spiritual. If you say it like that, it's a lot holier. Be spiritual. If you can throw your head at the same time you do it, it really has impact be spiritual and so we tried to be I'm sorry 
somebody's thinking I'm making fun of him. I am. But anyway, if you try to if you try to put God in a box, you know, like if you want to be spiritual, this is the way you have to serve God. You have to read your Bible so much, or you have to read your Bible every day. You have to do this. If you're going to do that, you got to be spiritual. Or if you come over here and say, if you really want to worship God, worship looks like this, and you got to do this, and you got to cry. If you're really worshiping God, you got to cry, and, and you got to get goosebumps, and you got, and you got to just feel. And I've had all of that, but I've also had nothing. I felt nothing. And so I don't think that, oh, I'm not in the presence of God. It's really hard to be out of the presence of God when he's on the inside of you. You know, I'm just sorry, but some of our worship songs, you know, God, come down. God, would you please fill this place? God, would you do that? I'm not. Okay, I am. But I mean, I'm just saying it's really hard for God to come and do and fill when he says, I'm in you. I'm just saying I'm in you. I'm just saying I'm in you. Lord, Holy Spirit, send your spirit, send your power. God's going, already done that. Check. But when we put God in a box and saying, this is what God is like. I said this in the first service. The last time God was put in a box when people touched it, they died. Ow! Did you hear what I just said? When you put God in a box and you touch it, they die. Which tells me God was never meant for a box. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, it's called the Ark of the Covenant. You know, they, they had the Ten Commandments in there. They had the manna. They had Aaron's rod that budded. You know, they had the spiritual stuff in there. So God was in there, and they kept everything in a box. The problem is when somebody touched the box, they died. 2,000, 3,000, 4, all these thousands of years later, we're still putting God in a box, and people are running away by the thousands, by the millions. Because this represents God, and this is what God looks like. You're causing death. Three things I know about the future, and I close. It's not going to be like the past. It's not going to be exactly the way we think it's going to be. And it's going to happen a lot faster than what we think. That's what I can tell you about the future. So this is the day, and this is the hour, and this is the time that we need to rethink God. Because your future is going to depend upon it.